This is the Purpose Church podcast where we exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. And today we're talking about the battle of contempt. We've talked about the battle of apathy. We've talked about the battle of isolation. And today is the battle of contempt. You've seen it in nasty online comments. You've seen it in in nasty tweets. You've seen it where people wish harm upon somebody, maybe even wishing harm upon an entire group of people. You've seen it where um, someone may even wish death upon somebody. Like not even that they just want harm against somebody, but they're literally wishing death upon them. Y'all, we've seen it this week in regards to uh, the passing away of Rush Limbaugh. And it honestly doesn't matter where your opinions lie on this. People were saying horrible, vile things about him. That is contempt. We saw it even as the state of Texas, right? People online saying really contemptuous things about the way Texans responded to and were able to deal with the storm. We see it everywhere. Just hatefulness, nastiness. And the thing that I really want us to talk about today is not, not just that it's out there. It's not just in online comments. It's not just on the internet. It starts in here. It starts in our own hearts. It starts within us. And, and the devastating thing about contempt is that it's not a hat you can put on. Is that contempt is, is maybe we've mislabeled it in our culture as something like people are just angry. Do you see it in the, in the news commentators? They're just like seething with anger. And you can see it online in people's comments. We see it in news articles. We see it when we get into conversations that we're really passionate about, that people sometimes can just be seething with anger. And honestly, I think that we have mislabeled what is actually a spirit of contempt as that of anger, when it's actually contempt. And the dangerous thing about contempt is this spirit of contempt is that it's not a hat that we can take on and off. So I cannot have an online presence as a Christian and put on my hat of contempt against those who believe differently than me, and then I come to church and take that hat off and now, because those people maybe who disagree with me, who I'm contemptuous to out in the world, those same people who come to church, well, I can take that hat off, and then we can be church family. It doesn't work that way, because we, it, it becomes an ideology, it becomes a spirit that lives inside of us, and then we bring it into the church as well. Romans 12, 2 is our anchor verse for this, and it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're talking about culture wars, not letting the ideas and opinions of the world form who you are, because we're all being formed by something. We're all being formed by something. And so our call to us today, our call to us in this series is to let the ways of Jesus form who we are. There are a lot of competing voices for your ears. There are a lot of uh, profiles online. There are a lot of news stations. There are a lot of uh, businesses that pay a lot of money to grab a piece of your attention. There are are a lot of people who are spending a lot of money for you to pause for a second and let them speak into your life. There are a lot of voices trying to form us. And the call in Romans 12 too is to not be formed by the world, not to conform to the ways and the ideas and opinions of the world, but to be transformed. So one of the ways of culture that we're looking at today is that of a spirit of contempt. And contempt is this. Contempt is the feeling that someone else is beneath consideration, that they are worthless, and that they actually deserve the scorn they're receiving. 
And there are a couple of nuances in this definition. One is that they don't even, de- they don't even deserve consideration. That when we think contemptuously about a group of people, and y'all, we are painting with a broad brush these days, where one person who may identify in a certain group of people or political party does something ridiculous, now they become the spokesperson for that whole party. And you see people like, no, we don't, we don't, we don't claim that. That's, that's not us. But we're painting with a broad brush. So when one person does something, well, now they speak for the whole group of people. So it's when we can look at a group of people and we say to that whole group of people that you deserve the horrible thing that comes your way. So we basically dehumanize people and we say that they deserve the scorn that, they're des- that they receive, that they're beneath consideration. It, it, contempt carries with it this air of superiority that says, I am better than you are. It, it, it's, it's this idea where we draw a line and anybody who doesn't measure up to our line is stupid. So we can draw lines in lots of different ways. We've got lines going everywhere. We've got political lines. We've got moral lines. We've got socioeconomic lines. We have parenting lines. And if you don't measure up to my line, whichever line I'm passionate about, and we're all passionate about different lines, then we look at everybody else who doesn't measure up to that line as though they are stupid. Like we literally, like they're stupid. So if we draw a political line, our country is divided 50-50. So whatever political line we tend to draw, we draw that line, and then we're saying to half the country, hundreds of millions of people, you are stupid. I'm smarter than hundreds of millions of people. You're stupid. And one of the things I think is dangerous about this is that it's all based on opinion. It's all based on opinion. And I think that if we can peel back the layers of this contempt, we'll find that we really want the same things in life. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, we want the same things in life. We want to be able to raise our families. We want freedoms. We want, we want to be able to worship. We want to be able to pursue our dreams. We want to be able to be successful. We really, at the end of the day, we want the same things. It's how we get there, where we differ, but it's based upon opinion. And this culture, the culture war, part of it is that we live in an age where we believe that our opinions rule and reign. We have elevated our opinion to being that of a God in our own lives. And we've idolized our opinion. And I just want you to know, if we don't know each other personally, I'm a very opinionated person. And I, and I do believe that most of my opinions are always right. So I want you to know that God has done his own work in me to be able to communicate this message from my heart. When you attend growth track, one of the questions is, um, I believe my opinion is usually right. I'm like, can I, is there like a plus 12? One to 10 is all I get? So I just want you to know that even with that personality that God has just spoken to me, through me in this also. Because really what it is, it's just an opinion. It's just an opinion. It's not fact. It's maybe not necessarily what is absolutely right. And when we draw a line and we cut out 50% of our country and we call them stupid, that's a spirit of contempt. And it looks... It's manifested in many different ways, maybe even that of parenting. Well, this is how I parent, and this is what I believe about parenting, and anybody who parents outside of that line is stupid. It's, It's stupid. Really? You're saying that hundreds of millions of people are stupid, that you are smarter than hundreds of millions of people. So we've got lines going every which way. 
We can draw moral lines. We can draw political lines. We draw um, maybe competency lines where if you don't measure up to that, then you are stupid. You are beneath me. You, you are not even worth consideration. And so what we're talking about today is declaring war on casual Christianity that says, I can live with the spirit of contempt and I can call myself a Christian. I can look contemptuously at half the country who doesn't live up to my standards and be called to save them. We, we can't live like that. We have to get passionate about rejecting a spirit of contempt that the enemy would use to sow into our hearts to breed division. Because the enemy has a strategy. He's not more powerful than you. He's not more intelligent, and he doesn't have more authority. But what he has is a strategy. And at the end of the day, it's the one with the strategy who will win. So he doesn't have any new tactics. He's not doing anything new under the sun. It's the same strategy over and over and over. And one of the ways, one of the tools of his strategy is that of sowing a seed of contempt. And whatever his strategy is, whether it's apathy or isolation or contempt or offense, The end goal is always that of division. The enemy's ultimate goal in all of his strategy is always that to divide. And we know in this 2021 world, there are so many ways which we can be divided. I mean, it's like, pick a side. Where do you stand on this? Where do you stand on that? What side are you on with this? What side are you on that? And every time we have a chance to choose a side, we're drawing a line and then looking contemptuously at everybody else beneath that line. It's a spirit of contempt. It's a power grab that says, I'm okay, but you're not okay. And not only are you not okay, but you are hopelessly unfixable. Like, there's no hope for you. You are, you are just going to stay not okay, but I'm okay. I'm okay, but you're not okay. Contempt is a power grab. And so if the enemy doesn't have more intelligence, he doesn't have more power, and he doesn't have more authority, the church does. The church does have more power. The church has more intelligence. We serve a God who is our creator. He is a creative God. The enemy has no creative power. And the church has more authority. The enemy comes to us to divide. And the Bible tells us to be aware of the schemes of the enemy. He says to be aware of the schemes. The Bible says that the enemy is crafty, that he is cunning, that he has schemes, and it is our job to be aware of what his schemes are. So I am here today to expose the enemy. So as as the church, we are called to be separate for the sake of the world, for the world. So when we're drawing a line, we are cutting out and calling stupid the very ones that God has sent us to. So when we are called to be the light and to be salt, it is for the darkness. And also, I know we we like salt. We're salty people. But historically, salt was used to keep things from going bad. So when Jesus calls us to be salt, it is for preservation's reasons. It is to keep the world from going bad. And the standard is God's standard, not a line that we draw. So when we're called to be salt, it is for the world. When we're called to be light, it is for the darkness. It is for the darkness. So I want us to look inward as to where we feel contempt in our hearts towards other people and to know that God has actually called us to those people. We do not need to turn on any lights in this room. It is already lit. But if we are each called to be a light in the darkness, we have to go to those very places that we often look contemptuously towards. 
So we draw lines. We, we, when we draw a line, we dismiss people. We say, you're out, you're done, canceled, you are stupid. And we draw these lines. And what's interesting is that in this 2020 world, we, you know, COVID pandemic world, we saw it even within the church. Oh, that church is wearing masks. I have a mask opinion. Anybody beneath that, stupid. They are stupid, really. Millions and millions of people are stupid. But really, we just all want to be safe, right? We have different ideas on how that would be accomplished. Or people are not wearing a mask. Stupid. They don't care about people. They're all murderers. Stupid. I've drawn a line and I have an opinion about everybody beneath that line. When it came to churches regathering, we, people were drawing lines. If you're regathering right now, you are stupid. And I'm not going to go to that church anymore. Literally, people are leaving churches because they are wearing masks, not wearing masks, gathering, not gathering. We have so many opportunities for drawing lines and elevating our own opinion to a, to a godlike status. So contempt, an air of superiority towards anyone who believes differently, and, and you're saying to them, you're beneath me. There was a study by a, a psychologist by the name of John Gottman, and he did this study where he could predict with 94% accuracy the potential of a couple to get divorced. And the way he did this is he invited couples into a house where they were, there were cameras and microphones set up, and he would observe the conversations between a couple, a married couple, for three days. He'd just watch their interactions, and he'd study what they were doing. And with a 94% accuracy, he could determine whether or not a couple was in danger of divorce. And the way that he could see it, he said the number one sign that a couple was in danger of divorce was the uh, presence of contempt, was the number one indicator that a marriage was in trouble is if there was a, a presence of contempt. So we know that disagreement is, is normal. Anger from disagreement is normal, but the presence of contempt was the number one sign. And the, and the way that contempt shows up in a marriage is in sarcasm, it's in sneering, it's in hostile humor, it's in dismissiveness. It's, it's as though they would treat their spouse as if they don't even warrant consideration, that they deserve the scorn that is pointed at them. So we know that contempt is tearing marriages apart at an alarming rate. Not only marriages, but it's tearing apart the very fabric of our society, of our relationships. So we have to look inward and see where there is this pool for us to treat people contemptuously. Because we know that no one, we, we know from scripture that there is not one single person on this planet who is beneath any of us. Not one single person. In fact, the word ministry comes from a root word meaning minus, which was the idea that you are beneath people to serve them, to lift them up. And we see this kingdom culture versus this worldly culture. We see it on full display in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We see in the life of Jesus that, that he literally drew a line in the sand at one point. So we're, we're talking about drawing lines and people not measuring up. There's this moment where Jesus is talking to this woman. He meets her at the well. First of all, let's get a little history lesson. She's a, she's a woman which at that time was, she was beneath men in their culture. She was of the wrong ethnicity, and she was divorced, and she was an adulteress. So this woman had every social reason that she would have been beneath Jesus. As a man, as a Jew, for all these other reasons, this woman was beneath Jesus. But he's talking to her. And then, the, and then the other men who would have been on the right side of that line show up, and they're ready to stone her on the spot. 
They are ready to kill her and stone her for her sin. And Jesus is the one who drew the line and he said, if there's anyone without sin, then you can be the first to throw the stone. And the Bible says that one by one, they turned around and walked away. So where we see where we draw lines and and we cut people out, we see that Jesus drew a line and he brings people closer. We see Jesus live this out. In fact, there was a guy named Zacchaeus who would have also been a social outcast. He would have been considered a sinner, an outcast. And Jesus not only welcomes him in, but calls him down out of the tree and calls him his friend. So not only does he talk to him, he calls him his friend. And then he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to eat with you. So he takes it a step further to where he has a meal with him in his home. And you know that when you have a meal with somebody and you're gathered around the table with somebody, it creates intimacy. You get to know somebody. You can hear their story. You get to know them. It's, it's the ultimate sign of, I accept you. We're family. We can break bread together. So we saw him do it for Zacchaeus. We see that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. When they expected Jesus to come in with um, an air of authority or superiority, he lowers himself and washes the feet of the disciples. And he said he came to serve, not to be served. And then maybe the ultimate way we see it was when Jesus died on the cross. But it didn't just start for Jesus on the cross. He had exhibited this his whole life, this kingdom culture that nobody was beneath him. So the, the only one who could actually measure up to the line that God drew for us takes on all of our sin, takes on all of our mistakes, he takes on all of our shame and puts it on himself and literally lowers himself to the lowest status possible as that of a sinner. And he takes on our sin and dies on the cross for us. Not only that, but he he does it in the middle of two sinners. So he places himself as a sinner right in the middle of two sinners and places himself beneath all of humanity. And so when that line was drawn, Jesus is the one who made a way for us to be accepted and crossed over to that line. So we have to recognize and actually get a holy anger against this temptation of contempt. We have to get passionate about it and recognize it and reject a spirit of contempt full-heartedly because it is a seed of the enemy to breed division. And so how can we possibly live like this? Well, the first reason is that because Jesus did it for us. We're not asked to do anything that Jesus didn't first do for us. And the only one, only line that we can, of all the lines we can draw, the only line that truly matters is the one that none of us measures up to. And that we're only able to cross over because of Jesus. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, we can't work for it. It's not in our own merit, it's not because somebody drew a line and we happen to be on the right side of it, it's not because of your gender or your ethnicity or how much money you have or how competent you are. It's because of Jesus. It's because it says all have sinned and all fall short and yet all are justified freely by Jesus. So this is exactly who Jesus is. He is a friend of sinners. Also, that's me. I am sinner. It is me that he's talking about here over and over again. It's me and it's you as well. And so Jesus drew, drew the line and accepted us all across it. So we cannot tolerate, coexist with, perpetuate, participate with, or celebrate a culture of contempt that would treat people as stupid, worthless, or less than. We have to declare war on casual Christianity that wants to preach a gospel and then scorn the very people we're supposed to preach it to. 
And the answer to this, our battle cry in a culture that wants to treat people contemptuously, our battle cry is this. It is that of honor. Our strategy, so the one with the strategy wins. Here's our strategy. Our strategy is that of honor. Romans 12, our our anchor verse for this series, the next part of that verse is amazing. And And it talks about we didn't receive any of these things based on our own. It was freely given to us, so let's freely give it away as well. Um, Verse 3, it says, for by grace given to me. It was given to me, not me earned, not me bought. It was given to me. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. No one is beneath me. not, Not one single person. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, not or and individually members of one of another. So in this next part of the scripture, I want you to notice where scripture tells us to treat people a certain way based on whether or not you have the same opinions. I want you to look for it. And when you hear it, you can, you can shout it out, you can raise your hand, you can wave a hanky. But we're looking for where it says to treat people a certain way based on whether or not they have the same opinion as you. Ready? This will be fun. Okay, it says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Also, contempt is evil. Treating people like they're beneath you is evil. So let's hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection as long as they have the same political opinion as you. Hey, guess what? This week, as people needed water and electricity and food, um, nobody was asking my political affiliation. Nobody actually asked my opinion on masks. It didn't seem to come up this week at all. Isn't that interesting? It says, outdo one another in showing, shout it, honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints as long as they agree with you. That's not what it says. And seek to show hospitality to those of the same opinion as you. That's not what it is. That's not what it says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them unless you think they are scum. Unless you think they are stupid. Unless they, they fall beneath a line that you have drawn based upon your own opinion. That's not what what it says. It says, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Nowhere in here does it mention as long as you have the same opinion as somebody else. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. In other words, don't draw lines. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all who are in your own political party. False. If you're listening to this online, I just want you to know that's not really what the word says. It just says, if possible, as so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with, shout at church, all. Live peaceably with all. So what, what will restore our nation is not another Facebook thread. It's not another tweet. It's not another comment. It's not 50% of the country realizing that you are actually right and agreeing with you. It's not more commentaries. It's not not more uh, opinion sections on the news. It is a culture of honor. A culture of honor is what will restore our nation. And it's not going to come from anywhere except inside the church. 
If there's any chance for our generation and our, na- and our nation to heal from the spirit of contempt, it's going to be because the church has decided to take a stand against casual Christianity and stops living as the world lives and chooses honor over contempt. But they're Trump supporters. But they're Black Lives Matter supporters. Honor to all. Honor to all. Contempt ultimately leads to division and honor ultimately leads to unity. And God loves unity. The longest recorded prayer in scripture is Jesus praying for unity. There are entire Psalms in the Bible that talk about unity. Honor is one of the most beautiful, neglected virtues in our culture. Honor is a weapon, it's a tool that God has made available to us to be used to restore peace and harmony and can move us toward forward progress. Honor, it's a spiritual battle. This is not a battle against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle. And so what we need is a spiritual weapon and our weapon is that of honor. Honor is this, honor is the decision, a decision that's important, to recognize the value someone possesses and esteem that person rightly. So it's a decision to recognize the value someone possesses and esteem that person rightly. But they're a socialist. Esteem that person rightly. They're a Trump supporter. Esteem that person rightly. And, it, and it's based on the value someone possesses. And we don't get to determine who does and doesn't have value. God created all people in his image. Therefore, all people have value and all people should be honored. You will not look at one person who is not created in the image of God. Contempt is rooted in offense. And it's part of the enemy's strategy, which always leads to division. I want to show you this honor slide. And really, I wish this could be a message all by itself. I'm sure it will be at some point. But honor doesn't go from honor and then just boom to to dishonor. There's an honor slide. And it, it stair steps us down. And I want us to be aware of how the enemy works in this. And what we could do with this honor slide is you could see it evident in the Garden of Eden. You could see it. Um, in the life, in the ministry of Jesus. You could see it in the temptation of Jesus. You can see it anytime there's been any kind of breakdown and division in your own personal life, you could trace back this honor slide. Do we have a slide where it's all of the steps up there? So the the first step is that of honor, which honor brings unity. And the step underneath that is that of familiarity. Do we have that slide? Familiarity is a, is a subtle step down from honor. And I always thought that familiarity meant that you just know each other really well. And really this honor slide is prevalent in every single relationship we have. It's in our marriages. It's in our work relationships with our boss. It's in your relationship with your church. This honor slide is in every single relationship we have. And I always thought familiarity meant that you just know somebody too well. It, we've heard this all. It breeds contempt. Well, there's no more familiar, familiarity in a any relationship than that of a marriage, right? So it can't possibly just be that you know each other really well. What it means is that you have, uh, familiarity gives you permission to do and say things that honor never would have. So whereas in a dating relationship, or maybe you're engaged, there are certain things you would have never said to that person, but now that you're married, the familiarity gives you permission to say things you would have never said before. And we see this in our relationship with our employers. We get comfortable, and I think that familiarity is fueled by a spirit of entitlement. 
And I think that once we start to assume the motives behind somebody else, we start to slide from that place of honor. When I first heard you sing, Crystal, I was floored. I had never heard somebody sing like Crystal sings. I heard her, the beauty and the richness of her voice, and I was obsessed. I was like, Crystal, please make a CD or put it on iTunes or Spotify, something where I can, like, I just want to listen to it. It was beautiful. It, like, floored me when I heard her. And then the other day, I was sitting in here as they were rehearsing, and I had gotten used to having great music every single Sunday. And as I was listening to them, it like hit me fresh all over again. And I realized that I had gotten used to, accustomed to hearing such beautiful, rich, talented singing every single week. So I put myself back in that place of honor in honoring the gift that is in Crystal, her leadership, her voice, um, the gift that's in her. Because it's easy for us to slip from that place of awe and of respect, and we can do that in our marriages, and we can do that with each other, we do that with our employers, and it, it is fueled by a sense of, I'm entitled to something. This is what I deserve. And we start to treat people less than that of honor. So down from honor is familiarity, after that is contempt. So it stair steps it down. We have honor, and then you slide into familiarity, which allows you to do and say things honor never would have. You step that down again, and now we're in a place of contempt where there's like frustration kind of brewing beneath the surface. And contempt is what we're talking about today. So it doesn't just go from honor to contempt. It goes from honor, familiarity, and then contempt. And contempt is this seething frustration, but it, it starts subtle. It's like the temperature just changes a little bit and you don't really recognize that you've gone from hot to now room temperature. So it happens subtle. And then down from contempt, then it's dishonor. And dishonor is not the absence of honor. It's honor placed in the wrong direction. It's honor put on the wrong thing because we are created as beings to worship. We are created for that. So we're all worshiping something. And if we're not putting that honor on the Lord, maybe we're putting it on our own opinion. Maybe we're putting that honor on a person. Maybe we're putting that honor on a career. Maybe we're putting that honor on money. But it's misplaced honor. It's not the absence of honor. It's misplaced. And then down from dishonor, the last step is that of division. It's division. So it, it goes from honor to familiarity, contempt, dishonor, and then division. Got it now. So the enemy's strategy is always to bring us to this last one. And division never happens like you just leave by yourself. You leave and you take people with you. Division. That's ultimately the enemy's goal in your marriage, for you and your church, uh, for the body of Christ at large. This is the enemy's ultimate goal is that of division. So how do we honor? If our goal is to honor and if honor will bring unity, how do we honor? First, I would say be aware of familiarity. And it's not for the person that I'm to honor for them to maintain that. I have to maintain it in my heart. Proverbs tells us to guard our heart above all else. And anytime you start to get a, a, a whiff of entitlement, you need to check your heart. And we have to submit those things to the Lord. And I think we should often pray that dangerous prayer of search me, O God, and know me. God, is there any way, anywhere in me that is offensive? Is there anything in me that, that is entitled, that acts like there's something that I deserve? Because what I deserve is, is hell. That is ultimately what I deserve. But Jesus made a way that I don't have to pay that. So whenever we start to sniff out that entitlement, we need to be aware of it. So that's the first thing in how we honor. 
was kind of just a side note. And also we honor all around. We're used to maybe honoring people on the platform. We're used to honoring people with gifts. We're used to honoring those in leadership. But as Christians, we are called to honor all around. We honor up, we honor down, and we honor all around. We treat every person with honor. And one of the ways we can do that, we're going to talk about three ways that we can honor. The first thing is to listen to other stories. Listen to people's stories. And when you listen to somebody's story, it says, I value you. So I can take a second and listen. And here's what happens when we take time to listen to people's stories is that it creates empathy. It humanizes somebody. Maybe somebody who is ideologically on the polar opposite side of you. When you can take time to listen to their story, you begin to have empathy for that person and see them as a person. So listening is huge, listening to their stories. And when you listen to somebody's story, you can see the divine hand of God moving in their life on their behalf, just like he's done for you. Even if they fall beneath some line that we have drawn. I'm leading a small group right now called How to Study the Bible. It's not a touchy-feely group. It's literally like, how are we gonna study the Bible and get something out of it? Um, But our first small group, we were sitting around the table and I asked the question, Hey, share your salvation story with us. Like, how did you come to know Jesus? And people went around and shared their story. And I, I never get tired of hearing those stories. And there were some people there who I, I had heard their story before, but I heard it again, or I heard a part of it I didn't know. And I was able to see this person the way that God sees them. I was able to see God's hand on their life. I love hearing people's stories. And one way we can honor people is by taking time to listen to their stories. Even in the Garden of Eden, I'm telling you, we could trace back this honor slide and see it prevalent the whole way. But when Adam and Eve sinned and they were hiding and God comes, he's looking for them. God is actually asking the story, asking for their story. Hey, where are y'all? What are you doing? What are you wearing? Who told you you were naked? Like, tell me your story. What's going on? And then in the story I mentioned earlier, when Jesus drew a line in the sand with the, the woman who was an adulteress. Jesus listened to her story. Jesus took time and honored a woman of the wrong ethnicity, caught up in sin, and listened to her story. So I want to challenge us this morning to take time to listen to people's stories. And as a side note, a part of this, one of the biggest ways we can bring contempt into our homes, parents, even towards our children, is by not listening to them. When we break communication in our marriages, when we break communication to our children, that is contempt. It's saying, you're not even worth me listening to. I do not like it when my kids talk bad. I also do not like to be argued with by my children. I'm not advocating for that. What I'm saying is that we have to take time to listen to our kids. We have to take time to hear their story. We have to take time and give them honor in hearing them out. And I think if you're in here and you're a teenager, if you're in middle school or you're in high school, I would encourage you to respond to your parents this way too, to listen to what your parents have to say. Don't slide down from that honor spot into familiarity or contempt even with your parents, but honor your parents enough to listen to what they're saying, to listen to them. And not listen to them so you can respond, but listening to them because listening keeps communication going. And as long as there's communication, we can honor one another. We cannot honor people if we cut off the flow of communication. Because when you cut off the flow of communication, the contempt is present because it says, you're not even worth me listening to. You don't even have anything of value to say, so I'm just going to cut off the communication. And I want us to bring honor into our relationships by giving space to listen to one another. 
And the second way we can honor people is to honor their purpose and their giftings. Honor their purpose and their giftings. There are two pictures of unity that we see in scripture over and over and over again. It is that of the bride. The Bible references the church as the bride of Christ and as the body of Christ. So we see these two pictures of unity in the bride and in the body over and over again. And it speaks to people's purpose and their giftings. And we can honor the purpose and the giftings in other people. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Canceled. You're not an eye and you are stupid. You are stupid because you are but a hand and all you have is fingers and you cannot see. I, you are so stupid. Hand, that's what I meant. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Look at you. You're just on the ground with your toes and your heel. Like, you are such a stupid foot. Why can't you be a head? If you were a head, we'd be so much better. You are so stupid as a foot. That would be ridiculous, right? So the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary. So if this is the way the world thinks, if this is the, the way of culture, on the contrary, here is kingdom culture. This is how we should live. On the contrary. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You can't live without them. What good is it if we've made tamales to people if we don't have feet to walk yourself to the car? We need each other. And we have to honor the gifts and the purpose in each other. It says they are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. honor. Special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Listen to this. But God has put the body together. God has put the body together. God gives each and every one of us a a set of certain gifts and a purpose. God himself has done that. And we could even look at the ministry of Jesus when he assembled his team of disciples. They were not of all the same opinion. In fact, they were on opposite sides. Jesus modeled this by even his closest people. And yet they changed the world. So God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If part of our country is suffering, it's not we just, oh, they deserve that. They, no, we suffer together. Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. When I read this, I actually had the picture of the tiered, stage when someone receives a trophy or a medal and I imagined if somebody was getting an award for being an artist and it's actually the hand that did all of the artwork one does not just put the hand up there and put the gold medal on the hand that's ridiculous and it's kind of funny but it's the whole body up there being honored it's the whole person it's the mind it's the eyes it's the hands it's the body it's the feet so each one of us are called to be a part of the body therefore each of us has a place and a purpose, and we can honor that in each other. And unity doesn't equal uniformity. We can celebrate our diversity. We can celebrate the diversity in our gifts because that is kingdom culture. Every person being a part of the body, every person has a place, every person belongs, and every person makes us better. This is what drives our passion for growth track. This is what drives our passion for. Let's find out what you're good at and where you can fit in the body and what are your gifts and what is your purpose and how can you be a part of what God is doing here. This is what drives our passion for that. So honor people's stories, 
honor their future and their, or honor their purpose and their gifting. And number three is honor others' futures. Because God has all of us on a growth plan and he has a destiny for all of us. And God has a future for all of us. I am not trying to say there's anything stellar right up here right now. We're six years in and I can tell you that I am better at this now than I was six years ago. And for those of you who have been with us for a minute, thank you. Thank you for being a part of this journey when we were first starting out and we were a zero year old pastors who had not pastored a church before. Thank you for giving us the grace and the room to grow. Thank you for honoring the gifts and the purpose and the future that we had as pastors and the future that we still have. We have to give space and room for each other to grow and honor the future that God has for us. So maybe we've grown into a certain space, but why, why would we draw a line and, and look contemptuously at those who have not yet reached that space? And I feel so grateful, even as I was thinking about this, to my in-laws. And I would just honor them if they are watching or listening at some point, because they have always given me the space to grow as a person. As a first-time mom, they never mocked me, made fun of me, laughed at me for the ridiculous things I did as a first-time mom. Like, we can all laugh together now. I'm nine years in and three kids deep. Like, we can laugh about the fact that I made a hippie cake for our first baby's first birthday party. She had a sugar-free cake. And people are like, oh, you won't be like that with your next kids. I was like, yes, I will, because sugar this and sugar that. I mean, I could show you every picture of a baby going face first in a cupcake after that moment. But my in-laws didn't make fun of me for it. They didn't draw a line and push me out. They, they honored it. As silly as it may have seemed to them, they honored it. And they gave space for me to grow as a parent. And not only did they give me space to grow, but their, their way that they honored that in me, it actually helped me. It actually helped me. I didn't have to be defensive and prove myself. And I maybe probably did definitely make ridiculous requests maybe for birthday presents or Christmas presents or was really strict about certain things. Maybe I was right, maybe it was uptight, whatever. But they gave me space to grow. They honored my future in that. And I want us to honor each other's futures. That where you see somebody right now is not their ending spot. Wherever somebody is politically, ideologically, spiritually, within their competence, their opinions, wherever somebody is right now, that is not their final resting spot. This is not where they are going to stay. So we can honor their future, knowing that God has a plan and a purpose for all of us. And we are all on a growth track to being more like Jesus, not more like me, not more like anybody else, not more like our spouse, not more like our parents, to be more like Jesus. We are all on that. And you can be on that track if you're a Republican, you can be on that track if you're a Democrat. And we can respect and honor one another. So where the world celebrates contempt and even elevates contempt as a virtue, we have to see it as part of the enemy strategy and we have to counter that worldly culture with a kingdom culture that honors. We can honor people by listening to their story because we know that God honors and values them. We can listen to their story, we can honor their purpose, we can honor their gifting, and we can honor their future. That's how we can honor one another. And we can do that because Jesus has first done it for us and other people have done it for us. Whatever job you do, you are better at it now than when you started. However many kids you have, however old they are, you are a better parent now than when you first started. 
If you are a musician, you are a better musician now than when you started. And somebody gave you a chance. Somebody gave us a chance. We were 20 years old and took a group of teenagers to Mexico on a mission trip. Like I can't even imagine. I would have been a parent volunteer, if anything, if my children had gone on that trip. But parents let their children go to Mexico with us on a mission trip. People saw something in us and honored the the potential that we had. People gave us space to grow. Let's return that to the people around us rather than drawing a line and looking at them contemptuously. If you would just bow your head and close your eyes, I want us to end with a time of prayer. And I want us to end with a time of prayer that doesn't just look for contempt out in the internet world. I want us to look inward, wherever we've personally drawn a line. And I want us to submit and release those things to the Lord. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that he knows your story. He knows your story. He honors your story. He knows where you've come from. He knows everything that you've been through. He knows every high point and every low point. Jesus knows your story. And he cares about your story. Your story matters to him. He values you. He gave it all for you. He values you so much that he gave his life for you. He values you so much and he honors you and your story so much that he took on our sin and died on the cross even in between two other sinners because he values you that much. He gave you gifts and talents. You have a purpose in him. He has a a future for you. You are not here by accident. He he specially made you in your mother's womb and he named you your name for his purpose and the future that he has for you. So maybe today is a day where you you are able for the first time to say yes and honor the sacrifice that was paid for you and receive him as your Lord for the very first time. If that is you and you are here today and you wanna say yes to receiving him as your savior, if you would just raise your hand so we can pray your prayer together, I would love to pray with you. Amen. We'll never embarrass you. We would never call you down front. You will stay right where you are, and we're just going to pray this prayer together. If that is you, or you'd like to maybe dedicate, rededicate your life to Jesus, or you want to submit to him the ways that we've been uh, in the spirit of contempt and anger and calling other people beneath us stupid, that we can, we can stop living that way, and we want to honor one another. I'm going to pray, and I would ask that you pray with me in your heart. Lord, we love you so much. And God, we thank you that you are the one who drew the line and that it's, it's your line that matters most and that you made a way for us to be able to live on the other side of that line. God, it's not by my own competency or my gender or my ethnicity or how much money I do or don't make. If I'm born into the right family or the right country, it doesn't matter because you died on the cross for all of us. And God, we receive you this morning as our Lord and our Savior and we submit to you our opinions God, where our opinions have ruled and reigned as gods in our lives, Lord, would we, would we put those in their right place and recognize them for what they are, which is only an opinion. And God, would you be the one who speaks truth in our lives? Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for never canceling us. Thank you for never giving up on us or dismissing us. Thank you that, that you are never disgusted with us. Thank you that we we don't have to live with the scorn that we actually deserve. God, thank you that you are on an endless pursuit for us. God, we honor you today, Lord. Lord, would we never fall into a place of being familiar with what we have with you? 
God, would we stay in a place of honoring you and the sacrifice and the purpose that you have for us? God, would we never take for granted the fact that we can have a personal, vibrant relationship with you? Lord, would we stay in a seat of honor towards you? And God, would we look at every single person whom you've created with that same awe and respect and honor? Lord, would you help do it in us first? God, would you help use us to be a catalyst to change this broken part of our culture? God, thank you for calling us and allowing us to be a part of the body of Christ. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church podcast. If God uses this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.